You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them and turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And I want to talk to you today about what I call lordship living. Lordship living. And so what I want you to do, we're going to look at a couple of passages. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And then we're going to flip over to the right. And we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I want you to say it with me, 2016. Wow. Some of you, you thought you would never see 2016. You may be a senior adult here and you thought, you know, back when you were young, you probably thought, you know, you started thinking of a date like that and you thought, you know, I'll I'll probably never see that. For others of you in this room, you're probably like me. Do you feel like time is just flying by? Isn't it? I mean, you don't put a calendar up. Sheila puts a calendar up in our kitchen there in our little dining area. And it seems like we don't put that calendar up before she's taking it down, throwing it in the garbage, and sticking another calendar up. It's kind of like your Christmas tree. How many of you feel like you're always dragging that sucker out, putting it up, taking it down, pulling it back out again? Does it ever feel like you put the tree up and then you're pulling it back out? It just seems like it just comes and goes so quickly. People say all the time, you know, I can't believe how quickly Christmas got here. Uh, Time just seems to be flying. I love Liv Smith. She's one of our our homebound, one of our shut-ins. And when you'd go to Liv's, she's now in a in a, um, in, in a nursing home, but when she was in her own home, she's nearly a hundred years old. But Liv Smith, when you walk into her house, there was her Christmas tree. You walk in there March, there was her tree. Walk in there in July, there was her tree. So one day I said, Liv, I said, uh, don't you think it's time to take your tree down? She just laughed. She's just got that kind of nature. She just laughed and she said, you know, It just seemed like no sooner than I took it down and put it away, it was time to get it out again. So I just thought, I'm just going to leave it up. (laughs) I think sometimes Sheila would do that. Sheila at Halloween will say, it's time to get the tree out. And at uh, Valentine's Day, I'll say, Sheila, we need to put this thing away. So, you know, it, it, it just seems like it's, it's like that. Time just seems to be flying. But what I want you to do today is I want you and I to think about for a moment, because this time, this time of the year, every one of us, we kind of do inventory, don't we? We just kind of step back, take a look at our life, and, and we kind of count our blessings, but we also make those New Year's what? What do we call them? Resolutions. Uh, we're, we, we resolved that we're going to do some things different in 2016. Now, how long does that usually last? It don't last long, does it? No. In, in fact, in all honesty, you and I realized by the end of this month, we pretty well put those resolutions away, and we're back to the same old, same old of what we've always been. But this time of the year is a great time to do spiritual inventory. 
It's a great time for you and I to look at our life, evaluate our life. I remember when I worked at Piggly Wiggly grocery store. And uh, every year we did, at least once a year, we did inventory. Now back in those days, they didn't hire people to come in. You did it yourself. So we had to count all the canned green beans, canned corn. We had, and then we'd hang a tag there that said how many were on the shelf. And we did inventory. Now all of that was designed to help the owner of that store understand profit, understand how, uh, how well he had done that year. Wouldn't you like to have that spiritually? Wouldn't you love on New Year's Eve, late night, for Jesus to pinch your toe, be sitting at the foot of the bed, and say, let's just spend a moment and kind of reflect over last year, kind of gauge where you are. You see... What I want to talk to you today about, and maybe there's a better way to look at it, maybe we need to do a spiritual inventory. I wrote this down. It's kind of a principle, I think. A spiritual inventory, an honest assessment, an evaluation of where you and I are individually, spiritually, on this journey, this pilgrimage. In other words, how can we determine are we making any real progress spiritually? You see, the word, you've heard me say it a lot of times, hagias is a word for holy in the, in the Greek. The word for sanctification is hagiasmos. In other words, it's the process by which God is conforming you and I into the image of who? Who's He conforming us into the image of? His Son, Jesus Christ. But how do we determine how much progress we're making? How can we do inventory? So let's stand real quickly. Let's stand. We're going to look at that this morning. And I want you to, again, Romans chapter 10. It's a, it's a verse a lot of us know because if you've learned the Roman road, you've heard this verse. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Are you there? Say amen. amen. That if you will confess, that if you confess with your mouth, what? Jesus is what? Now, turn and say that to your neighbor. Wait, whoa, 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 don't do it yet. If you really mean it, turn to your neighbor. Say it. Jesus is what? In fact, let's say it together. Jesus is Lord. You know, the Bible says, Paul said in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2, he said, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you and I can either do it voluntarily right now, or one day we'll bend our knee and we're going to say it whether we want to say it or not. So Jesus is what? He's Lord. Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And what does it say? And you and I will be saved. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Quiet. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray, dear Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray, dear Lord, that our enemy, that our enemy would be quenched and be silent. We pray, dear Lord, that the enemy would not interfere with this service. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Stan, I'm counting on you. 
In Rocky 3, I don't know if you've ever seen the Rocky movies, but in Rocky 3, we have this story of Sylvester Stallone, uh, Rocky, who is defeated by Mr. T. Now, everybody look this way. Rocky is defeated by Mr. T, and, and all of a sudden, he is filled with an enormous amount of fear. He's just beaten down. He's humiliated. He, he listen, he's in, a, he's in a bad place, not only in his life, but in his career. So everything, Rocky's life is falling apart. And then all of a sudden, a man who used to be his enemy, but now is his friend and his closest confidant, comes alongside of him, Apollo Creed. And Apollo Creed basically begins to train and equip Rocky, and we lose too many more men, I'm going to quit preaching. <laughs> but anyway, and that's part of being here at Southside. It's a joy side. You never know what's going to happen at Southside. But anyway, Rocky is... Apollo Creed begins to work in Rocky's life, retraining him, rethinking him, getting into his head, and, and all of a sudden you begin to see Sylvester Stallone, who plays this part of Rocky, you begin to see how he begins to change his attitude, he deals with his fear, and he, in essence, again begins to fight, but he fights differently. I think that sometimes you and I have to recognize that that's the Holy Spirit. That this process of sanctification by which God is conforming us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now everybody listen closely. Jesus, if you are a Christian, Jesus Christ is living where? He's living in your heart. He is the comforter. He said, listen, I've got to, I've got to get back to the Father and I've got to do it quickly so I can send the paraclete, the comforter, who will come alongside of you and work from the inside out to conform you and I into the image of Christ. That's what he's about. But don't you wish sometimes you knew how you were doing? Because we have an accuser of the brethren, we have a father of lies, that he would always tell us that we're just doing real poorly. I had this later in the sermon, but I'll go ahead and say it, Reggie. I'll never forget what Dr. R.C. Sproul said one day. He made this statement. He said, you know, I'm not where I need to be, but listen to what he said, but I'm a lot farther than I was five years ago. You ever think like that? You want to silence the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, the slanderer, diabolos, that one who wants to upset, destroy your life. Let me tell you what he does. He tells you how sorry and no good you are and what little spiritual progress you're making. He's the slanderer. The paraclete, the comforter is inside of you saying with an arm around you, we're making progress. But how do you do a spiritual inventory? I wrote this down. Listen closely. If you look back over this past year, do you find it harder to sin? That's a simple question, isn't it? Oh, I find it real easy. <laughs> hey, listen. If you find it easy to sin, then you may have a deeper problem than you realize. But let me ask you something. If you look back over your life so far, you think to yourself, you know... It's harder for me to sin than it used to be. 
It's hard for me to get caught up in those habitual areas of disobedience, the sin, as the writer of Hebrews said, which does so easily beset me. It doesn't beset me quite as often as it used to. In other words, I, I find myself, for example, I, I'm still battling with my temper, but I made some progress. I don't get quite as mad as I used to. You know, I'll see some Christians say, man, I used to get so mad. I'd throw a fit. I'd throw stuff, hit stuff, kick stuff. I just don't do that like I used to. You know, I wrote down, do you find it difficult to watch some programs that you used to watch? Do you find it difficult and hard to listen to some of the stuff that you used to listen to? It just seems like there's a heightened awareness of His Holy Spirit now working inside of you to where now you feel in your heart there is some progress. I'm going to tell you something, folks. That's a good feeling. That's a good feeling. Let me ask you one more question. Is your spiritual walk, your walk with Christ, your daily devotional life, is it better and deeper than it was a year ago? Can you say, my conscience is not seared? It is awakened. I find it very difficult to do things that I know will quench the Holy Spirit in my life. It's just hard to sin. I talked to a friend this past week. I was asking about a son of his who was in a bad accident. You've heard me tell this story. He was in a, a single car accident on a lonely road. The car erupted into flames. It melted the asphalt. And when he fell out of the car, his hands landed in that molten, hot, melted asphalt. And it stuck to him. I'll never forget going to the burn center and hearing him screaming as they were pulling that asphalt off of his hands. He began to wear gloves. He would tell me, he had told me, he said, I can no longer feel in my hands. I have no feeling. The nerve endings are destroyed. My, my skin is seared. You see... What you and I have to recognize is sometimes as we look back over our life, we say, you know, the conscience in me is not seared, it is awakened. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul said, do not put out the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And I told you that's the picture of a wet blanket. It's the picture of the Holy Spirit trying to work in your life and you quench it or you throw a wet blanket on a fire. And, and what you're saying is, I have to be honest with you, Pastor, as I look back over my life, my conscience is once again awakened. It's not seared. I find it difficult to sin. Some of the old habits that held me in bondage, I'm beginning to shake loose off of me. God is doing something in my life. There is some spiritual progress. And I praise Him for it. The Holy Spirit is not quenched. The Holy Spirit's not grieved. 
Paul said in Ephesians 4, 29-32, he brought up this thing of grieving the Holy Spirit. So it's now we're saying, you know, there's something taking place inside of me. I can feel it. God is beginning to do something inside of me. My conscience is far more keenly aware of any thought, anything I try to bring into my life that I know will quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. God's doing something in me, and I'm thankful for it. Is God doing something in your life? My wife makes a statement a lot of times you can't clean a fish until you catch it. And when you and I give our hearts and life to the Lord Jesus Christ, God begins to take control. We're now the temple of His Holy Spirit. We are His possession. He has redeemed us. He has bought us out of the slavery to sin. He has given us new life. And now God is in the process of literally changing us from the inside out. Have you ever thought about John the Beloved? John the Beloved. Think about that. John the Beloved. John the Beloved, the Apostle. Beloved of who? Beloved of Jesus. In fact, he was the closest to Jesus. But John, in the early part of his, of his life, he had a problem. He was called the sons of what? What were he and James called? Sons of what? Sons of thunder, which meant that they were what? Hotheads. Short fuses. Had a temper. You remember when they went into that Samaritan village? and the Samaritans didn't want to hear Jesus, what did John say? Get back Jesus. I'm getting ready to burn this sucker to the ground. You, Lord, do you want me... Think about that. Lord, do you want me to call down fire and consume this village? You get over at First John. You know what John's talking about? He, he refers to people as my, my children, my little children, and nothing but love all the way through. What happened to him? Listen, God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, the paraclete, began to change John from the inside out. John began to behave differently. Peter, listen to Peter. Dozing off when Jesus in the midst of a storm. One time Jesus said, I must needs go to Jerusalem. Peter said, it ain't going to happen. Puts his arm around Jesus, begins to reprimand Jesus. Jesus pushes Peter away and says, get thee behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. Fireside chat, there's Peter. Jesus under trial. Jesus is on trial. He's already warned Peter, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked that he might, he might sift you like wheat, but I've already prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you've come through this, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, I won't deny you. The rest of these numbskulls may do it, but not me. I'm with you, Lord. And then a little while later in front of a maiden, he says, I don't know him. I don't know him. And then finally he says, I blankety blank don't know him and don't ask me again. And the cock crows. And he and Jesus catch eyes and Jesus looks at him. And the Bible says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Historians say that when Peter was going to be crucified, Peter would eventually be martyred. He would be crucified that they were going to crucify him in exactly the same fashion, in the same way as Jesus had been crucified. And Peter said, no. He said, crucify me upside down. I don't deserve to die as the Lord. 
What happened to these men is the same thing that's happening in your life and in my life. God is changing us. And if we're not careful, the enemy convinces us, convinces you and I that he is not and there's no progress. There are three areas, and I'm not going to get to all of them, may not, that I believe are critical this year. Number one, it may be we only get to one point, is the priority of lordship. Turn to your neighbor and just say that, the the priority of lordship. Now I want to ask you something. With that in mind, because we see here in Romans chapter 10 that Paul says to the church that if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is what? Let's say it loud. Jesus is Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. What rules and governs your life? How do you make decisions? In fact, let me take it a step farther. What has dominion, control over your life? What calls the shots? What defines and controls your life and manages your life? Now, everyone look this way. I want everybody to look this way. A moment ago, we had a homeless man come into this church. Now, let me tell you, I can can tell you already. I know him. We deal with him all the time. He's, He's addicted to alcohol. Some people will give a sack lunch too. They'll go down and sell it on the corner and go in and buy a bottle of beer and they're stumbling their way back to the tent to crawl up in a tent. This man is under the control. He's under the addiction. He's under the supervision of alcohol. Alcohol controls him. He had not sat down good as I was preaching. Hey! And when I looked at Stan, Stan knew exactly what I was saying. Kevin is with Celebrate Recovery. Immediately, Russell, these men realized that what we have, listen closely, we have a man who is drunk and he's under the what? Under, turn to your neighbor and say, under the what? Influence. He is under the influence of alcohol. You see... If he wasn't under the influence of alcohol, he wouldn't behave that way. That's why the Bible says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled. And the word filled in the Greek is under the control of the Holy Spirit. When you and I are under the control of the Holy Spirit, we're just like that man. We're as apt to stand up in the middle of school and say, Jesus is Lord. But see, that man's under the control and the influence and the guidance. And alcohol has dominion over his life. I do a devotion every Monday morning for Southern Electric. It's a company. It's an electrical company. And I reminded them when you and I make the decision that we're going to improve ourselves, that we're going to make some resolutions, let me tell you, who do you think is listening in on that decision? CBS said this in the news this past week. CBS News said that 40% of Americans today, right now, one of their resolutions is to live a healthier life in 2016. 41% said that they wanted to lose weight. And that may be your resolution. For many, this is the time of resolutions, and especially about your health 
and sometimes about your diet. But I imagine in hell, imagine Satan, our enemy, who, listen, has declared war against this progress of hagiosmos. He doesn't want you to make progress. And let me tell you, in John 10.10, what does he come to do? You remember? What? Kill, steal, destroy. Right? That's what he comes to do. So you and I have an enemy, and that enemy is, he is about attacking you at any point you say, I'm not, I'm not happy where I'm at. True, I've made some progress, but I could have made more. I'm not happy with my health right now. I'm not talking about your weight, and I'm not talking about your self-image. I'm talking about you living long enough so that you can see your grandchildren and play with them and hold them and watch them grow up. So that you can be about the kingdom of God as long as you possibly can. The enemy wants to take you out. So when you look and say, I'm not happy where I'm at, and I'm going to make a resolve, a resolution, that I'm going to get control by the help and the guidance of God's Holy Spirit, of my diet, of my health, of my appetite, Satan goes, what did he say? Hmm. We've got to put a stop to that. Let me tell you, when you and I make a resolution, you can be rest assured in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, that we are now in the middle of a spiritual war. Anytime we resolve for self-improvement, to get control of health or whatever it may be, the enemy is listening in and that's why he begins to attack. And by the end of the month, we've quit doing what we set out to do. Why? Because we're in a spiritual war. This is the enemy. Anytime I wrote this down, this is not Star Wars, it's spiritual wars. I was sitting there with Ledge and Ethan and, and Matt and, and, and his boys, and we were sitting there watching Star Wars, and I was thinking to myself, in so many ways this is like the spiritual war that you and I are in the middle of. It's just as intense. And the Word of God is like a lightsaber against an enemy. Let me listen to this principle. Anytime you and I make a decision to improve an area of our life, such as our health, a spiritual war breaks out. Let me give you an example. We talked last week about Shark Tank. You remember? Kevin O'Leary, what is he called? Kevin O'Leary on Shark Tank, what does he call himself? Mr. Wonderful. Let me ask you something. What controls every decision that Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, makes in that shark tank? What, what controls it? Money. Right. He, 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 doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't make any qualms about it. He says, listen, it is all about, and he loves to look and go, money. You see, what he's saying is, is that is the priority of his life. It has dominion over his life. It is what causes him to make the decisions that he makes, it's all based on the fact of what is it? Let's say it together. Money. Phil Robertson said something. Phil Robertson is Duck Dynasty. You know, long beard guy. I listened, listened to a speech the other day, and he made this statement talking about the political race. And he made this statement. I thought Dwayne it was so good. Phil Robertson said, you know what, in all my years of life, and I guess he's my age, I'm 60, he's probably around 60 or better. 
He said, in my entire life, he said, I've never heard a politician say these three words. And he said, you know, when somebody doesn't say these three words, eventually you begin to think they don't feel that. What do you think the three words were? I love you. You know, three words. He said, in all my life, I've never heard a politician just look out at the constituents, the voters, the people that he's trying to win and look at them and say, I want you to know something, America, and I want every citizen, black, white, rich, poor, I want all of you to know this, I love you. Wow. Phil Robertson went on to make this statement. He said, you know, What drives politicians is power, prestige, popularity, but undoubtedly not love. Maybe that's what's wrong with America. We don't have nobody that loves us anymore. So, to to this audience that Paul is writing to, Paul's saying, listen, true salvation comes when you and I say these words, Jesus is said. In the, in the Greek, it's kurios. Kurios. Oh, this congregation, they knew it because let me tell you what Roman soldiers did. Roman soldiers, they simply just came up to people and they asked them to make this statement. Caesar, in the Greek, I believe, is Kaiser. Kaiser. Or Kaiser. And so they would make them say Kaiser, and I'm not going to say it, but they would put Kaiser, Caesar, and Kurios together to say that Caesar is, and I have a problem, I'm not going to say it. So what a Roman soldier would do, he would draw a sword. He'd make a man get down on his hands and knees, just like the Muslims are doing on the beach over there when they put a Christian on their knees. And they would say to this Roman citizen, they would say, You must say that Caesar is, and you had to finish it. Well, to a believer, to a follower of Christ, this was blasphemy. And they couldn't do it. So they would say, Jesus is... Oh, wow. That was convicting. Jesus is... And the Roman soldier would draw a sword and usually take his head off. But so Paul was saying to this congregation in Rome, in the center of this empire, he said, listen, this is critical. You cannot denounce the lordship of Jesus Christ and be saved. Let me ask you something. What would it take for you to denounce? Have you ever thought about this? And we'll close in a minute. Have you ever thought about what it would take for you to denounce Jesus Christ. Have you ever looked at these guys that are on the beach when they had them lined up on that beach and and, and these Muslims were there and they were going to chop their heads off if they did not denounce Christ? You know, Amanda tells us about South Sudan and the persecution going on there in many places of the world where people are being persecuted. The underground church in China, communist countries. Have you ever thought to yourself, "I, I wonder what I would do if I were in their situation? Would I be strong enough 
on a beach with my head bowed and a Muslim extremist says that I have to denounce Jesus or he's getting ready to kill me, would I have the strength to simply say, Jesus Christ is Lord? Would I be strong enough? Listen, and what if it were my family? What if they were holding my child and they had a knife I remember when I was at Fort Sam Houston, Sheila and I had just come in from getting groceries. We were sitting in an apartment complex. We were sitting in that apartment complex when all of a sudden somebody was screaming. There was all kinds of commotion. I opened up the door and there was a man on the second floor in the balcony with a shotgun aimed right down what I thought was my door. And I was stupid enough back then, big enough, that I said... What's going on out here? And he said, two men just raped the woman, the manager of the apartment complex. They'd gone out the window, and he and I began to chase them. When we got back, there was the knife print where one of those men held a knife on an 18-month-old little baby boy while the other one raped the mother. And the child, I remember, still had the red mark across its throat. Let me ask you something. Would you denounce the lordship of Jesus Christ for the sake of somebody you love? You're not going to like this because if the answer is yes, that child, that spouse, that person is Lord in your life. And in a Western materialistic church where we sit in a 70 degree sanctuary on comfortable pews and know nothing about suffering, that thought is almost excruciating. Is he Lord? And what would it take for you to denounce it? What has dominion over your life? What controls your life? Is it debt? You know, the Bible says that that the debtor is enslaved to the lender. What controls your life? What controls my life? Could this year be a year in which we simply say, Jesus Christ is Lord and he will control every decision that I make this year, regardless of what it may be? Is he? I know I need to close. I was in Panera Bread a couple of days ago. And when you walk in there, there's all these bakery items. And I've eaten a lot of sweets and I haven't felt good and I think my blood pressure's up. So I go in there and I'm going to eat a bowl of steel-cut oatmeal with strawberries and pecans. And I wrote this down I said, when I went in there, I thought to myself, it was like the bear claw stood up (laughs) and was screaming at me, saying, you the man. Come on, buddy. You know you want this. I see you looking my way. You know you want me. And I wrote these words down. If I can't say no to a bear claw, 
I probably won't be able to say no to a post on Facebook that I don't need to be listening to, a conversation I don't need to be in, a porn pop-up, or eventually something more than that. Last week, one, or a week ago, one of our deacons was propositioned by a woman in the hallways of this church. I can't believe it. She said, you want to have some fun? He said, no, go away. And she's not here today. Well, I've never... I can't believe those kind of things. That's why I don't bring my family to Southside. I don't want my husband to be exposed to such temptation. Well, I, I thought to myself, it happens in the suburbs too. It's just dressed up and sophisticated a little bit more than it is here at Southside. We're on, we're on the front line. Now, I need to close, and, and I'm going to close. I want to encourage you this year, first of all, to basically say this. Jesus, you're not only Lord, you are Lord of this life. And this year, I make a commitment. I'm going to, I'm going to bring every decision, every thought, every word, everything that I do. I'm not going to get caught up in gossip. I'm not going to get caught up in watching this program when I know it's contrary to everything that's going to help me mature. In other words, listen, does this conversation, does this program, does this friendship, Sheila and I on the mission field broke fellowship with a missionary couple in Africa because we looked at each other and we said they gossip so much, when they leave we feel dirty. You ever feel some conversations after somebody leaves and they've been chewing up somebody, gossiping about somebody? When they leave, you go, man, I almost feel like I need to go take a bath. That's a pretty good sign that you may have to break that friendship. So this year, saying, first of all, there's a priority of lordship in my life. Every decision, every conversation, every friendship, every program, every song, everything, I'm simply going to ask this question in this hagiosmos, this process of sanctification, is this helping me progress, make uh, progress towards spiritual maturity, toward looking more like Jesus, or is this pushing me back? Could we do that? I'm going to tell you folks, listen, I'll tell you how serious it is. Some of you may have to change your career. Some of you may have to make some hard decisions in order to be able to do that. And that ain't going to be easy. Because the Lordship always costs. But let me tell you, remember, and go ahead and stand. Remember those people lined up on the beach with their head down like this, refusing to denounce the lordship of Jesus Christ and an Islamic Muslim extremist with their sword drawn, ready to take their life. And they refuse. No. Jesus is, let's say it, Lord. He's Lord.
you may say, well, you know, I, don't, I, I know all that's true. You remember in Braveheart when William Wallace, that scene there, for every man, it's kind of a man scene. You've got, you've got this, you've got Longshanks, who is the king of England, and he's trying to call Scotland to submit and come under his authority. And so you've got Scotland and England fighting and combating. And there comes that scene to where William Wallace is leading, Robert the Bruce. They're, they're leading these forces. They've gathered these Scots and these Irish, and they're ready to go into battle. They're not going to live under the lordship of Longshanks. They're not going to succumb to his temptations and the things that he's put in their path. They're not going to sell out to Longshanks in order to have rule or to do anything. They're going to take a stand. But then all of a sudden, Longshanks comes and he has all of his forces and they look massive. They look, they look unbelievable. And in that moment, in that moment, the men begin to say, we, we can't fight this battle. Fear gets into their hearts. They start looking at one another and one guy says to another guy, he says, I'm, I'm going home. And the other guy says, I'm going home too. I'm not going to go out there and die. And then all of a sudden you hear the, you hear the sound, the running of a horse. You see that stout. You see that face painted with the blue war paint. You see that face of William Wallace as he comes and he reels that horse around and he goes up and down those ranks and he looks at those individuals and he asks this question. He's, well, he looks at them and he says, you can go home. You can go home. But how many of you will come back to this moment, this point in your life, and one day long for this moment to be able to say to Longshanks, let me tell you something. You can go home. You all, everybody can go home. You can all go home. You can go ahead and live your materialistic life. You can eat yourself in Bolivia. You can ignore, ignore your health. You can take every credit card and live in debt. You can give in to the enemy. You can sell out. You can be driven by greed. You can drive a nice car. You can live in a nice home. You can put away a lot of money. You can sit and gossip and tear down one another. You can look at porn and nobody know it. You can do whatever you want. But I can tell you one day, how many of you on your deathbed, and I've been to a lot of deathbeds, how many of you and, how, and even myself would come back to this moment, to this time and say, Jesus, He is Lord, and I'm going to live for Him from this day forward to the day they bury me. He's Lord. It's not about what I drive, not about where I live, not about the clothes I wear. It's not about anything. It's about Jesus Christ. And every decision this year, everything that I'm asked to do, think, get a part of conversation or whatever, program that I watch, music that I listen to, everything will be weighed by this question. Will this make me look more like Jesus? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to You, and Lord, we thank You. Wow. That, that word comes natural. I remember a time in preaching where a man kind of reprimanded me 
for not saying the name of Jesus. But I went back and I listened and I heard Lord, 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 Lord all the way through it. All the way through the message. All the way through the prayer. Lord Jesus, your Lord. Your Lord over creation. Your Lord over everything. Your Lord over this world. Which means that you're sovereign and in control. And ultimately you are Lord over our lives. But Lord, you've invited us as believers, and I don't know if we're not even really saved until you're Lord. It's amazing that the Bible always puts it in that order, Lord and Savior, Lord and Savior, Lord and Savior. You can't be Savior until we recognize the Lordship of Christ, Jesus Christ your Lord. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. I pray, dear Lord, for every person in this room I think that the danger is in this church and the danger is in every one of our lives is that we are not living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the enemy thereby is getting victories. So we pray, dear Lord, this year that this would be a year of Lordship living. That we would look at our wife, we would look at our husband. There needs to be some moms that need to put their children up in their lap and they need to look at their kids and say to their kids, Kids, this year, I want to live for Jesus. I want Him to be Lord of my life. If you see mom doing something, or you hear mom doing something that is not right, would you please tell me? We need to involve the people who love us. There needs to be some husbands who look at their wives and say, I don't want to go back. If you see me watching anything, listening to anything, doing anything that's contrary to God's will and His Word, then you tell me, I give you permission. And that needs to be husbands to wives, wives to husbands, moms and dads to their children. Some of us need to go into the workplace and we need to apologize because you've not been Lord. Some of us need to go back into the classroom and we need to say to the students that we teach, I want to be a better teacher. 2016, you help me to be that. I want to live for Christ. I pray, dear Lord, that every decision, every thought, everything we do would be for your honor and for your glory. We would not listen to the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies who rips and tears us down and tells us our lack of progress. We would recognize that, God, I'm a better man than I was five years ago. And as a pastor, I am a better man than I was five years ago. Thank God, by the grace of God, by the power of His Holy Spirit. But oh, when I look at Jesus, I think to myself, I have so far to go. We never get there, but we will one day when we stand before God, robed in the robes of righteousness, and we'll look like Jesus. And that will be a glorious moment because sin will not be present in heaven. Not His power nor His presence. So I pray, dear Lord, for every person in this room. Lord, if there's one here that is not a Christian, they've not given their heart and their life to You, and You've spoken to them, may they come. May they say to Ledge or Reggie or to myself, may they say to one of us, I've asked Jesus to come into my heart and to forgive me and to be the Lord of my life. 
If they're a believer and this is a new beginning, maybe it's coming to this altar and saying it's a fresh start, new beginning. His mercies are new every morning. Where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. Every decision, everything I do this year, I bring it under the Lordship of Christ. And Lord will give you the praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.